History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History, the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. From a revolution of hope and liberty to the infamous reign of terror, you can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So search for the French Revolution today. The News on Parade Corporation presents News on Parade. Corporation News. Hello everyone, and welcome to a History of Egypt podcast news update. On April 3rd, 2021, Egypt hosted a once-in-a-lifetime event, a grand parade through central Cairo, which transported the bodies of royal mummies in glittering style. 22 bodies of kings and queens left their old home at the Egyptian museum in Tahrir Square. The mummies had been in this museum for more than a hundred years, but the old museum is small, cramped, and the facilities could not support the needs of such important attractions. As more tourists come to Egypt every year, the old museum can no longer meet demands. So Egypt is undertaking a grand project to reorganize and renew its museum sector. In this case, the mummies were leaving the old museum for Eastern Cairo. They are traveling to the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. This is a grand edifice established in 2017 as a museum to all of Egyptian history. Here you will find artifacts of prehistory, the Pharaonic era, the Greco-Roman periods, Coptic Egypt, medieval Egypt, the advent of Islam, and the modern periods. In other words, the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization is a monument to everything that Egyptians have achieved over more than 5,000 years. To be clear, the National Museum is different from the Grand Egyptian Museum. The Grand Museum, or GEM, is located in Western Cairo at Giza. That museum is devoted solely to pharaonic relics, including the treasures of Tutankhamun and the splendors of the ancient civilization. So the two museums have different purposes. And as part of Egypt's political and social history, the royal mummies belong more to the Egyptian civilization as a whole. So, they will lie in the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. If you want to see them, that will be the place to go. Now, let's talk about the parade. The Grand Parade was a carefully choreographed, orchestrated event. The organizers have been planning it for months, and rehearsals have gone on repeatedly since late 2020 and no one knew exactly when it was all going to happen. Then, last week, the announcement came. April 3rd was the day of days. The parade was accompanied by a variety of performances. Pre-recorded videos showcased the monuments of Egypt, the famous structures which are associated with the royal mummies. Then, in the live service, musicians performed songs in honour of the parade. The celebration included music by some talented Egyptian performers. The composer was Hisham Nazir, and the orchestra conductor was Nadir El Abbasi. Three singers performed moving tributes to the event. They were Nesma Magub, Reham Abd El Hakim, 
and Amira Salim. We should note that Ms. Salim performed a song in ancient Egyptian called the Hymn to Isis. Here is a small selection of Amira Salim's performance. Lovely. Other musicians contributed wonderful parts. Radwa El Beheri performed on a variety of percussion instruments, and her additions were definitely a highlight. Then, the violinist Salma Saror performed a moving solo. Hani El Badri performed traditional music on an Egyptian flute, and Ahmed Munib performed a moving piece on a traditional violin. The music was a wonderful part of the broadcast. Finally, the parade was accompanied by a procession. Dancers and performers attended the caskets as they left the old museum. Clad in beautiful costumes and carrying glowing emblems, the performers added a touch of solemnity. They evoked images of ancient processions when priests would honour the great gods. Today, the performers gave a sense of pharaonic splendour, and as the parade got underway, the spectacle did bring a tear to my eye. It was effective. Performers added their own dazzle, and blazing light shows lit up central Cairo. But of course, the centrepiece was the mummies. To be clear, the parade did not show the ancient bodies. Instead, the mummies lay within their coffins, and those coffins travelled on specially decorated floats. Trucks, dressed up in golden decoration, carried the coffins one by one. On the back of each truck, a golden shrine contained the coffin and the mummy. So you couldn't see the bodies themselves, but this was not a silent, anonymous parade. The side of each truck bore cartouches with the names of each figure. These appeared in Arabic, English, and ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs. And inside each truck, a camera showed the face of the coffin in which the person lay. 
So, as the parade began, you knew who was inside, the mummies that were travelling. With that in mind, let's introduce these figures. The video of the parade was edited, so it was hard to spot the exact order of the mummies. As far as I can tell, the procession began with the coffin of Sekenenre Ta. Sekenenre Ta was a ruler of Dynasty 17. He is noteworthy for dying in battle against the Hyksos of the north. As you can imagine, this death-in-battle story makes Sekenenre a powerful figure in national memory. I released a mini-episode about Sekenenre quite recently. Well, now he led the parade. Next came Amosa Nefertari, the daughter of Sekenenre. Amosa Nefertari is quite interesting because she had an enduring reputation. After her death, Amosa Nefertari was immortalised as a local goddess. So this lady enjoyed a grand posthumous legacy. Next came King Amunhotep I and Queen Amosa Merit Amun. Rulers of early Dynasty 18, this husband and wife have beautiful coffins, well preserved. The mummy of Amunhotep I has never been unwrapped, so he travelled in state, just as he did 3,000 years ago. Next came the mummies of Tutmose I and Tutmose II of Dynasty 18. Noteworthy rulers in their time, particularly Tutmose I, who conquered vast areas of the north and the south. At this point, the video editor started cutting back to the front of the parade, so I could not see who followed after Tutmose I and II, which sucks. But assuming that the mummies were going in chronological order, it probably went like this. Sekenen Reita, Amosa Nefertari. Amunhotep I, Amosa Merit Amun, Tutmos I, Tutmos II, Queen Hatshepsut, or rather, the mummy alleged to be Hatshepsut, there is still some debate on that, Tutmosa III, the famous conqueror, the Napoleon of Egypt, Amunhotep II, a grand warlord and a brutal punisher of Egypt's enemies, Tutmosa IV, the one who uncovered the Sphinx and was rewarded with the kingship. Amunhotep III, the dazzling sun king, the Aten who illuminates all lands. Queen T, royal badass, mother of Akhenaten, and formidable figure in 18th dynasty politics. Ramesses I, elderly and short-lived, but the instigator of Dynasty 19, the age of the Ramesids, a glorious era in Pharaonic history. Seti I, the son of Ramesses, and the builder of grand temples at Karnak and Abydos. Ramesses II, aka Ramesses the Great, builder supreme, almost victor of the Battle of Kadesh, and a famous name among Egyptian royalty. Merni Ptah, the son of Ramesses II, and a noteworthy king in his own right. Seti II, who does not enjoy a grand reputation, but who is notable. Si Ptah, builder of a magnificent tomb in the Valley of the Kings, and one who had a difficult life. Ramesses III, he who defeated the Sea Peoples, builder of Medinet Habu, and the victim of an assassination. Finally, Ramesses IX, a lesser-known king who ruled for a long period of time, 
but did not leave a particularly significant legacy. That is the list as best I can infer. I've probably missed one or two, but there is no official list that I've been able to find. So this is my educated guess. If you have more information on the specific names in the parade, please let me know. The Grand Parade made its way from Tahrir Square, near the Nile, out to eastern Cairo. The cars arrived escorted by police motorcycles at the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. Here, they received a cannon salute from the armed forces, and performers attended the cars as they made their way to the museum. At the entrance, Egypt's head of state, President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, waited to receive the parade. So, Egypt's current leader welcomed the leaders of the past. The symbolism is clear. The parade ended when the carts arrived at the National Museum. From here, specialists will transfer the coffins and the mummies to their new home. Modern facilities will house the remains of these pharaohs, and soon they will be visible to guests. We must wait and see what the new display is like. Hopefully, it is grand and spacious, giving Egyptians and tourists room to appreciate and observe these people. Twenty-two mummies made the journey in grand splendour, but among the Ramesses, the Tutmoses, and the others, you may have noticed one name that was not included. Tut Amun, the boy king, did not feature in this parade. How come? All of his treasures are kept in the Cairo museums, and they will soon appear at the Grand Egyptian Museum. So why did Tutankhamun not participate? Well, the mummy of Tutankhamun actually does not reside in Cairo. It is in Luxor. The body of the boy king still lies within his tomb. For many years, Tutankhamun resided in the sarcophagus within his burial chamber, and it only left that hall for scientific examinations. Nowadays, the king lies in a special climate-controlled glass case. An airtight, regulated box in the southern part of his tomb holds the king's mummy. When you visit the chambers, you can see the body of this ruler. Tutankhamun lies beneath a white shroud, only his head is visible, but the king will remain in this tomb. There are no plans to move him. So Tutankhamun did not participate in this parade, because of all the pharaohs, he is the only one still lying in his chambers. So the Golden Parade went ahead in pomp and ceremony. It was a magnificent celebration and a wonderful performance. Of course, you can find broadcasts of the event on YouTube. There are links in the episode description if you wish to view it. I highly recommend giving the event a watch. All this grandeur is impressive, but where do these mummies come from? How did archaeologists find them and preserve them for modernity? Well, in chapter 2, I will explain the background, how these mummies survived the millennia, and how their ancient journey mimics their new one. That is after the break. See you in a moment. Was the Sphinx 10,000 years old? Were there serial killers in ancient Greece and Rome? What were the lives of transgender, intersex, and non-binary people like in the ancient world? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. We tell you true stories and tall tales of the ancient world. Sometimes we do it tipsy. 
Sometimes we have amazing guests on our show, historians like Barry Strauss, podcasters like Liv Albert, Mike Duncan, and authors like Joanne Harris and Ben Aronovich. We take you to the top of Hadrian's Wall to watch the Roman Empire fall at the end of the world. We walk the catacombs beneath the Temple of the Feathered Serpent under Teotihuacan. We walk the sacred spirals of the Nazca Lines in search of ancient secrets. And we explore mythology from ancient cultures around the world. Come find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts. In 2021, a variety of royal mummies made a trip through Cairo. Where did these mummies come from? The royal mummies came to light during the late 19th century. There were two major discoveries. We will discuss these finds in greater detail in future episodes, but for now, here is the basic story. In 1898, several mummies came to light in the Valley of the Kings. In the tomb of Amunhotep II of Dynasty 18, a number of royal bodies lay in secret chambers. This burial was a cache, a collection of mummies gathered later in Egyptian history and reburied. Among the remains, archaeologists found the bodies of Amunhotep II, Tutmose IV, Amunhotep III, King Merniptah, and several royal women. This included the mummies that might belong to Queen T and Nefertiti. Those identities are still uncertain, particularly Nefertiti, but this was a major find, one that continues to prompt scientific inquiry. The tomb of Amunhotep II, KV35, contained many famous names. But when people think royal mummies, they are probably referring to a different discovery. You see, about 20 years before the Amunhotep cache, another burial had come to light. In the 1870s, word reached the ears of Egypt's antiquities service. The rumour was that villagers in Luxor had uncovered a tomb, a royal tomb, filled with treasures and mummies. As you can imagine, the government officials went to great lengths to uncover the secret, for nearly three years, they searched for the truth. They scoured the hills and interrogated villagers of the region. Their methods could be extreme. Eventually, torture and threats coerced a local into revealing the truth. The inspectors sprang into action. The search led them to the west bank of Luxor and the cliffs above Deir el-Bahri, this is the valley where the temples of Hatshepsut, Tutmose III, and Montuhotep II present a grand facade for tourists and ancient worshippers. In the hills surrounding Deir el-Bahri, the antiquities inspectors followed their guide to a hidden, secret cleft. The tomb was a hole, a shaft descending into the rock. It was approximately 12 metres deep, or 39 feet. The inspectors had to scramble down a rope, descending into darkness. At the bottom, they saw a sight that must have been incredible. Reaching the end of the shaft, 
the inspectors came on a long series of corridors. Within these dark chambers, they could see a huge number of coffins. Caskets made of wood, covered in paint and sometimes in gold, littered the shadowy halls. One of the inspectors was named Emile Bruges, a German-born Egyptologist. He was 39 years old, and he later told a friend about his experience. Reflecting on the discovery, Bruges said, quote, Collecting my senses, I made the best examination I could by the light of my flaming torch. I saw that they contained the mummies of royal persons of both sexes. And yet, that was not all. Plunging on ahead, I came to the end chamber, and there, standing against the walls, or lying on the floor, I found an even greater number of mummy cases, of stupendous sizes and weight. Their gold coverings and their polished surfaces reflected my own excited visage, in such a way that it seemed as though I was looking into the faces of my own ancestors. The gold face on the coffin of Queen Amosa Nefertari seemed to smile upon me like an old acquaintance. End quote. The villagers of West Luxor had uncovered the most spectacular find ever seen in Egypt at the time. The mummies of nearly 50 individuals, including some of the most famous names in pharaonic history. Among the coffins, the inspectors found rulers like Ramesses II, Tutmose III, Seti I, and Sekenenre Ta. There were great queens like Amosa Nefertari, Iset or Isis, the mother of Tutmose III. There were priests, male and female, of high rank and prestige. There were government officials and children of the pharaohs. There was jewellery and papyrus documents, including books of the dead. Everywhere they looked, the inspectors gazed on history, the faces of antiquity and royalty. As you can imagine, the find was spectacular, and also a source of great anxiety. The antiquity service needed to clear the tomb as quickly as possible to prevent any damage, robbery, or loss. Unfortunately, the inspectors in charge of this clearance emphasised speed over science. Brush and his colleagues did not take any notes, at least none that have survived. They did not record where each coffin lay or how the tomb was organised, which is a shame. Historians could have learned a lot by studying the layout and the patterns in the ancient burial. Unfortunately, the need for speed overrode any focus on science. The tomb was cleared quickly to get the bodies out. We should take a moment to acknowledge the hundreds of villagers that worked on this project. Many now-anonymous Egyptians worked on behalf of foreign officials to clear this tomb. As they worked in teams, the Egyptians brought the bodies of their ancestors back to the world of the living. How they felt about this we do not know, but we can acknowledge their work. It took a few days to remove all of the coffins, to haul them up the shaft and out into the sun. Naturally, this meant that news of the discovery spread quickly. After three days of work, everybody knew what was happening. The excavators were under pressure, and they decided that the only way to guarantee safety was to bring the bodies to Cairo. The caskets would go aboard a steamer and sail downriver to the capital. There, Egyptologists could study them in peace and quiet. So, 
the inspectors organised a ship for the royal mummies. Apparently, news of the discovery travelled ahead of the boat, so when the steamer sailed down the Nile, people knew that it was coming. According to one account, the result was something special. Speaking later, Brush described the journey on the Nile. He said, quote, When we made our departure from Luxor, the news had travelled down the Nile in advance of us. So when we passed the towns, the people gathered at the docks and made the most fantastic demonstrations. The dancers were here and there. A strange wail went up from the men. The women were screaming and tearing their hair. The children were so frightened that I pitied them. End quote. Emile Bruch did not have a high opinion of Egyptians, and I take his description with a hefty grain of natron. But the story of men and women lining the Nile to watch the mummies pass has become a bit of a legend in modern Egyptology. I have not been able to confirm if this truly happened in the way Bruch describes it. But the image is a powerful one. Egyptians of all parts of society gathering to watch the journey of their ancestors. Whether they were curious, respectful, scared, or proud, the image of the pharaohs sailing in parade is a lingering idea of this distant event. In 2021, something similar happened. As the royal mummy parade drove through Cairo, people watched from their homes. And as the coffins passed by, the people of Cairo began to cheer. Here is the audio from a video posted on Twitter. You can see this video on Twitter, link in the episode description. So, in the late 1800s, caches of royal mummies came to light. In the early 21st century, those same mummies made a second journey to a new and splendid home. Perhaps another hundred years will pass before they move again. For now, the royal mummies will rest in the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. They have travelled twice with full honours a spectacular event, then and now. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this brief report. If you would like to learn more, including links to YouTube videos and photos of the event, visit the website egyptianhistorypodcast.com. There, you will also find images of the discoveries from the late 1800s, and some of the coffins on display. For those who want to see the mummies themselves, you will find a link to the relevant images. To learn more about the parade and the performers, visit the Twitter profile of Heba Abdel Gawad. Heba spoke to the podcast recently about heritage and history in modern Egypt, and her Twitter posts provided most of the details that I used for the parade and its performers. So, thank you to Heba Abdel Gawad. Follow the link in the episode description to see her work. The music for this episode was by Keith Zizzer, Bettina Jointer Guzman, and Jeffrey Goodman. Follow the links in the episode description to hear more of their wonderful songs.
The Civil War and Reconstruction was a pivotal era in American history. When a war was fought to save the Union and to free the slaves. And when the work to rebuild the nation after that war was over turned into a struggle to guarantee liberty and justice for all Americans. I'm Tracy. And I'm Rich. And we want to invite you to join us as we take an in-depth look at this pivotal era in American history. Look for the Civil War and Reconstruction wherever you find your podcasts.